0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Pushkin.
2: I have a distant memory of being in a car riding. That was probably my first car trip.
1: Leon Lomax was just three years old when, dressed in a red English-made suit and cap, he'd flown unaccompanied across the Atlantic and arrived on U.S. soil. He was traveling light, carrying nothing but a toy and his nightclothes. And when he arrived, he was something of a celebrity.
2: They said that I was more handsome than Joe Lewis, And everybody looked up to Joe Lewis because he beat Max Melling, I think, for the world championship in boxing.
1: Leon's arrival was big news. Brown baby adopted, the Pittsburgh Courier, the foremost African-American paper, jubilantly declared.
2: The white news press, they weren't so excited about it, but the Black news media was excited because it had to do with Black soldiers.
1: The Courier coined the term brown babies to describe children of mixed ethnic heritage who'd been born to African-American soldiers and white European women during and just after the Second World War. It's estimated that there were 2,000 so-called brown babies, and Leon was reportedly the first to be brought to live with an American couple. He'd spent some of his early years in a children's home, which was all too common for children born into his circumstances. But around 1948, and after repeated attempts, Leon's father was finally given the green light to bring his son over to Ohio, Leon embarked on a new life. A happy ending was not assured, however, and trouble was already brewing. I'm Hallie Rubenhold. You're listening to Bad Women, The Blackout Ripper. We're used to the romantic tales of dashing American soldiers who fell in love and married British girls, The GI Brides. But in this bonus episode, we'll focus on the less well explored experience of women who fell not for white, but for black American soldiers, and how segregation, racism, and prejudice blighted the lives of their children. 1942, the first American troops arrived on the shores of Northern Ireland to join the fight against Nazi Germany. Several thousand GIs and a small number of nurses, too. According to Sir Archibald Sinclair, who greeted these soldiers on behalf of the British government, their arrival marked a new stage in the World War and a gloomy portent for Hitler. Around three million American servicemen would eventually pass through the UK over the course of the war and hundreds of thousands of them were African-American. Many of those African-American soldiers came from states in the South where they were subject to statutes that legalized racial segregation, known as the Jim Crow laws. And that segregation followed these soldiers into the army. Black troops were placed in separate barracks. They ate away from white troops, and they had their own blood banks, so that even on the operating table... The races would not mix. The US Army imported this injustice to the UK. Black GIs aren't allowed
3: to bear arms in Britain. They do all the dirty work, really. They do
1: the driving, the cooking, the cleaning. This is Lucy Bland, a professor of social and cultural history at Anglia Ruskin University and an expert on the history of interracial relationships in Great Britain. I think people are often drawn to things that
3: relate to their own lives. My father married a woman from Guyana. He left my mother. So they were in a mixed relationship. Her daughter from her first husband is black. I have an adopted daughter from Guatemala. So mixedness, both interracial relations and mixedness as an identity, are there in my own family. So I was
1: kind of interested in that already. Lucy found and interviewed the children of black GIs and white British women for her book... Britain's brown babies. For many of them, people like Leon Lomax, it was the first time they'd shared their stories. What was so incredible is that many of them said, look, I haven't told anybody this. It's so great to have someone who's really interested in my story. Lucy's research also showed just how rigorously the US Army enforced Jim Crow-style segregation, not only inside, but outside its bases in the UK. So
3: clearly they are doing different jobs and they live in different barracks, but also areas of leisure like pubs and dances, they segregate those and certain towns, out of bounds. And the rationale is the tension
1: over the black GIs having relations with white women. Britain certainly had its own history of racism, but it didn't have such official and overt policies of segregation. The Brits are actually often quite appalled
3: by this segregation. Not that the British aren't racist, but they are quite horrified by the overt racist attitudes and the way that they are kept apart like that.
1: Still, no official stand was taken against segregation by the British. And sometimes the need to maintain good relations with a crucial ally meant that the policy was enforced de facto by the British people. Roy Otley, a Black American war correspondent, noted that when the manager of a restaurant was questioned about refusing service to a black soldier, he had a ready answer. White Americans had warned him they would boycott his place if people of colour were served there. At the same time, black troops were often received warmly by the locals in towns and villages where they were posted. And they ask, you know, about attitudes towards the Americans.
3: And they do say, you know, actually... Those black Americans are much nicer than the whites who just sort of go on at us about having pathetic little houses and we don't have radios and we don't have proper cars and we don't have this, that and the other.
1: It would be wrong to oversimplify race relations, but on the whole, British people said they found the black soldiers to be kinder and more courteous than their white counterparts, who seemed comparatively conceited and boastful. White British women, in particular, embraced the black GIs, and not just for their
3: good manners. They knew the Lindy Hop, which came from Harlem, because there were some who were coming from New York, and they also brought their bands. And I think the women really enjoyed this. So I think it's hard for us to appreciate that in the 40s, the main leisure pursuit for young women was dancing. which was cheap and something they did on a regular basis, young unmarried women. So the black GIs on the whole, would dance much better than the white GIs. They knew the moves. So, yeah, I think that was part of the attraction.
1: Dances would be held for black GIs on one evening and then for white GIs on another. And they were fertile ground for budding romance.
3: So there are quite a lot of interracial relationships we know, but some families were very hostile and local people hostile. Some were more accepting of this. It really depended, but I think generally there was this idea that you had to draw the line and that, you know, actually it was all very well them being, in being friendly towards them, but you don't necessarily want them to go a step further and the women had relationships and had babies
1: with them. This was thought to be beyond the pale. For its part, the British government tried to discourage these relationships too. It compiled suggestions for ways of keeping black GIs and white women apart but then marked the document top secret and stored it away under lock and key. The British couldn't afford to be too closely aligned with America's racial segregation, for such a move would surely enrage the millions of people of colour who were fighting alongside them for victory. But in some cases, Britain did use emergency wartime laws to prosecute luckless young women found with black GIs on actual US bases. Nonetheless relationships continued to form.
2: They probably met at a dance or, you know, some type of social event, like most of the GIs did with, you know, the women over in England at the time.
1: Leon Lomax was told little about his parents' courtship.
2: And I don't know how long they were together or what the circumstances were, but he knew the family and the family knew him because they, they used to call him Maxie. My last name is Lomax, so that's probably just was a nickname of him, but they knew about him and he must have had some kind of interaction with the rest of the family.
1: Leon's father, Corporal Oscar Leon Lomax, or Leon Sr., already had a wife and child back home in Ohio when he met Leon's mother, Maude. Leon was born in December 1945, after Leon Sr. had returned to the United States. American servicemen had to get permission from an invariably white commanding officer to marry their girlfriends. While white GIs were often granted such approval, black soldiers were generally denied it, and sometimes they weren't even given the opportunity to say goodbye to their partners before they were shipped out. Thirty U.S. states also still had anti-miscegenation laws that forbade interracial marriage. And so when they departed Britain at the end of the war, the U.S. Army left a raft of bereft single mothers in its wake. Financial and social pressures often meant that these women weren't able to keep their babies. This was the case for Leon Lomax's mother, Maud, who ultimately had to surrender her son to a children's home.
3: Young single women who might be living at home, they will get pressure not only from their parents and their relatives, but often from a local priest or the mother and baby home. They are often sent to mother
1: and baby homes, who will try and get this child off them. Many mothers tried to keep their babies for as long as possible. But childcare facilities could refuse to take children of mixed ethnic background. And without childcare, it was virtually impossible to work and earn the necessary living to support oneself and one's child. Very few of these children were then adopted. Adoption societies assumed that no one would want to take them. And even though there was a long-standing black community in Britain, little effort was made to find black couples or families might be interested in adoption either. Many babies were bounced between foster families, and, like Leon, they ended up in children's institutions, some of which categorised them as handicapped simply because of the colour of their skin. Unsurprisingly, such homes did little to nurture the happiness and well being of these children. You don't
3: have a sense of being loved. You don't know what a family is. You don't experience that. And then they just get thrown out, effectively, and they don't know how to live in the world. They get no preparation for that. Some of them become homeless. Some go to prison. Those homes were pretty awful. I mean, all the kids there were just hit all the time in the face and completely uncalled for behavior by quite sadistic people. Because I think actually some of these homes attracted people who probably had no skills, no training, wasn't very well paid, And they had power to do what they liked. Some of the stories are horrendous.
1: Over in the US, Leon Sr. had confessed to his wife, Betty, that he had a child in England. She told the Pittsburgh Courier about their conversation. He said, I've been gone a long
4: time, about three years. That's a long time for a fellow to be away from his wife. In the meantime, I met a girl. I was very lonesome, so what I'm trying to say is that there's to be a child. Betty, you don't have to answer right now, but
1: would you agree to take this child? Betty grappled with this dilemma. Inside her, a private war was being waged, she said. My job and friends kept me busy all day, but at night, whenever I was alone... I did a lot of thinking. I knew that a divorce was out of the question. Besides, there was the other son to think about. If I ever felt any resentment, my husband never knew. Eventually, in early 1946, Betty told her husband she would welcome the child. His honesty, she said, had impressed her.
4: He was surprised, but it made him happy. We wrote to the British Embassy, the American Red Cross, the American State Department with no results. Then we thought up another idea.
1: Bad Women will be back after this short break.
0: a smarter travel car don't wait to make smart financial decisions compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com nerd NerdWallet, finance smarter as with all cards credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers
2: they started the search for me because I guess they lost contact with my mother in England. And so they didn't really know where I was, what children's home I was in or anything. So they happened to see something, I don't know where they saw this in a newspaper or magazine or something. There was a Dr. Wingate in Sussex, I believe, that asked the question, why didn't the US soldiers or the black soldiers come and get their children? So they got a hold of him, and he helped locate where I was. So that's where the process started of getting me to America.
1: That process took three years and cost the equivalent of thousands of dollars. But at last, Leon Jr. was on his way to the United States. When his new parents arrived at LaGuardia Airport, they found him playing with staff in the immigration office.
6: I thought he was
1: the most adorable little boy," said Betty. It was New Year's Day, and hopes were high that a happy new chapter was beginning in Leon's life. The Lomaxes appeared to be the perfect family, brimming with love and doting on the new addition to their fold. But behind closed doors, the cracks quickly began to appear.
6: My case was unusual because Mum decided that she would not give us away. She decided to keep us.
1: This is Terry Harrison.
6: And here was an issue because at that time, my, my stepfather, now her real husband, was still away fighting. Of course, when he returned, you can imagine the bombshell, which was only natural.
1: Like Leon, Terry and his twin sister Susan were born to a white British mother and a black GI father. But unlike Leon, the pair stayed with their mother. She was already married, but her husband Charlie was somewhat surprised by the arrival of two new children while he was away at war. Eventually, Charlie moved out of the family home. He'd visit his own children every day, but Terry and Susan were a constant and unwelcome reminder of his wife's infidelity, so he
6: kept them at arm's length. Because he found it very difficult to accept. And as a result, my sister and I, our relationship with him, was not as it should be. But it wasn't hateful or bitter. It was just a lack of love and caring and warmth. He came in the house and what have you, but it was as though we weren't there. We were the ghosts, but he didn't see us there.
1: Terry, Susan and their mother Edna lived in the pleasant country village of Gadsby. But life for them was far from picture perfect. Charlie wasn't the only person to shun them.
6: Many of my mum's peers would often ridicule her for having brown babies. Mum did suffer, and that affected me in some respects because uh, I always stuck up for mum.
1: When Terry and his mother walked down the street, the villagers shouted racist slurs and menacingly banged on trash can lids. Some crossed the street to avoid the boy. Close relatives were cruel too. Terry's aunts and uncles treated the young twins with utter disdain and constantly reproached Edna for bringing the children into the
6: family. There was a lot of resentment and uh, anger towards Mum. She came through that, but she cared about Susan and I, of the way we would react, because as we got a little older we began to realise that we were different only by skin colour because basically being brought up in a white family, it became difficult, certainly for me, to understand why people were calling me different names, which I didn't really understand. And uh, they used to sort of do dances of um, going back to Africa, but we didn't understand, we didn't know, but we knew by the tone it wasn't a very nice thing.
1: Feeling white, but constantly reminded of the colour of his skin... Terry struggled with his identity and felt a profound sense of dislocation.
6: When we went to school, even, I remember some of the school teachers, and they were white school teachers, I remember sometimes they used to talk about Africa and painting faces and doing dances. I remember once they wanted to see an African dance and the teacher pointed to me for some reason, and could you dance in African?" I didn't know what an African dance was like. But nevertheless, I did it. What I thought it was. But they're the things that, that I remember. What, what? What? Why? Why me?
1: But Edna's love remained strong, and it was a source of comfort amid the hostility.
6: My mother never saw colour, even when we, she used to always say Terry and to my Susan and I, I love you so much, and that was all I wanted, as we all do, want that bit of love and caring. And so I had a great respect for Mum. And uh, she stood her ground, a very strong lady.
1: All the same, Terry felt that something was missing, that there was a part of himself he needed to examine and explore.
6: I wanted to know, who was my father? And she mentioned that he was a, a black American, black and GI. But I had no role model, I didn't have a dad. And at that stage in my life, I began to look at black role models, as famous people like... Winifred Atwell, the great singers and the great sportsmen, Jesse Owens, because they were black and they saw sort some common denominator. I began to feel some kind of empathy with them. And they, all of them, most of them, were from the United States. So, in secretly, I used to think, yeah, good old United States. Because them days, you never had any black figures in books. It was all white.
1: Terry excelled
6: at sports. And when he left school, he
1: joined the Royal Marines, married and had a family of his own. Still, there was always that nagging question in the back of his mind, that sense of something missing. Who was his real father? When Edna passed away in 1965, Terry got closer to an answer. Cleaning out one of her old drawers, he came across a photograph – a picture of a gravestone bearing the name John Lars Hendricks. Why had she held on to this old snapshot? Could Hendricks possibly be his father? According to the Pittsburgh Courier, Leon Lomax's arrival in the United States represented the pinnacle of a woman's sincere love for her ex-GI husband.
2: It's a story of patience and devotion. A story that is climaxed by a happy ending, even though it had a surprise beginning back in the middle of 1945.
1: But the story was far from over. And for Leon, settling into life in Fremont, Ohio, was tough.
2: I don't know how soon I developed asthma after I got to the United States, but at one point I thought I was going to die because I couldn't breathe. I missed my whole first year of school because of asthma. I think that was just due to stress.
1: Despite his efforts to bring about the adoption, Leon's father was often cold and distant with the boy. His stepmother, who struggled with Leon's presence in the family home, could also be cruel.
2: I think she was fine with it at first, But my father was always a philander, and he always had other women until the day she died, basically. And uh, he wasn't around a lot, but she was the one that was around me most of the time. So I noticed a change when I was probably in about the third grade or second grade. I noticed a change in her that she seemed like she was a little bit more strict with me. One aunt told me that she was kind of taking out on me what she felt about my father. And I think she felt resentful that, you know, she had sacrificed so much to be my stepmother, and then he still was doing what he was doing. That's why I think she got sometimes physically hard. I was really angry as a child. I remember cutting my finger one time. When she told me to go wash the dishes and I grabbed a knife and I stuck it into the front of the sink and the knife just slipped up my hand. I was seven years old at the time, so I had a lot of anger inside of me about just a lot of things, I think.
1: Bad Women will be back in just a moment.
5: Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand.
1: Leon's stepmother passed away when he was just eight years old, and he was shunted between relatives living with his aunts and his grandmother.
2: I had so much movement in my life. You know, I started out being abandoned by my mother. And then when I got to the United States, my stepmother died when I was eight years old. So I only lived with my father and my stepmother for five years after I got here. And then my father left right after she died. So he abandoned me and left me with my relatives to be raised. So... I was going through a process of uh, a lot of change when I was younger. I think I was kind of uh, reticent of a lot of things and, and a lot of people. They said that I was reserved or shy or whatever, and I just didn't gravitate to a lot of uh, people. Some of my cousins that always tease me and, you know, would just make fun of me. And I had a cousin of mine said that I was a mixed-up mess. In
1: spite of his cousin's jibes, his stepmother's coldness, his father's absence, an instability of constant upheaval, Leon is glad that his father brought him to the United States.
2: Bringing me over to America, he gave me a sense of family. Whereas I might not have had that sense over in England. I might have been in a children's home for a long time, or foster care, or foster parents, or whatever, you know, throughout my life. So it would have been a lot different, so that's one thing i'm grateful to my father and my family here in america for
1: but as with terry there was always something missing for leon he never knew his mother never understood why she gave him up to a children's home to strangers
2: and i always wondered why she didn't try to find me then as i got older i'd start raising my own family and i just kind of put her that thought of her to the side until I finished raising my family and I got, you know, almost 50-plus years old. And I decided to find, you know, out who she was.
1: And then, after his father's death, Leon found a letter among his belongings.
2: My mother was writing this letter to my dad, stating that he had promised to financially support her with my birth. And he didn't keep his promise, so she was struggling to uh, keep me because she couldn't afford me. She was living with her her mother. She says, I can't keep myself and Leon, me, on that amount. She was talking about some money that I guess he had already sent her. She said, I paid my mother what I owed her out of it, so there wasn't a lot left. You are as wrong as hell, she says, to think I want to get rid of him. I'm his mother and I love him very much, and I can't keep him. So there's a part in here where it says that she was changing my diaper or something, and I looked up at her, and I smiled at her for the first time. It just kind of broke her heart that, you know, she had to give me up.
1: This was a turning point for Leon. Understanding more about his mother and her struggles had a profound effect on him.
2: This letter was so uplifting to my spirit and helped me define more about my mother and myself and everything in my life. I just wanted to talk to her. I just wanted to find out what she was going through.
1: Leon also discovered that he had a half-sister, Pauline. When he spoke to her on the phone for the first time, she was floored. She had no idea that Leon was even out there. Pauline and Leon have since grown close, going to visit their mother's grave together and talking about the woman Leon never knew. Stumbling upon that photo of a gravestone, the one bearing the name John Lars Hendricks, Terry Harrison knew he had to determine once and for all if he was connected to this man.
6: I went and uh, wrote to the American War Graves Commission to see if this man was related to me. And forgive me if I get emotional. Amazing. One of the things that happened, that this man was named Hendricks. When I wrote to the American War Graves Commission, I got back a, a, a big envelope full of papers, which had been burnt around the edges as though it had been pulled out of fire. And what it was, the American War Graves Center had been burnt down and they managed to retrieve this particular package. And in the package, it was the way this man was died. And he was, he, he was died in a place called Butte Street in Wales, and he was shot by a white American policeman. But what was interesting, within the parcel, there was a letter of my mum's handwriting. And it was to the general conducting the court-martial of the shooting. And it said, did you know that John Lawrence Hendricks is the father of my two children? So that, when I realised that this man must have been my father. And that was a grave for me because it was a closure. And from then on, I went straight away to where he was buried. And that was quite an emotional day. And it was, I had some kind of closure.
1: But life is seldom so simple.
6: Every year I went down to see his grave. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I had an inquiry to do a DNA test. To
1: Terry's shock, there was no correlation between his DNA and that of John Lars Hendricks he wasn't Terry's father.
6: I felt... I felt absolutely deflated and emotional. But it did point to another match. And it went to a person called Vanderlee Ellis, and that was my father. He died in 1985, so if I'd have known that, i perhaps could have met him. But what was interesting, I also found that he had several children, and thankfully, in a few weeks' time, I'm going to meet two sisters in New Jersey and South Carolina. And that, to me, is amazing.
1: So, in June 2022, Terry packed his bags, boarded a plane, and crossed the Atlantic to meet his half-sisters for the very first time. He sent us a voice note afterwards.
6: It was just an amazing, amazing feeling. I couldn't wait to get inside the house and greet my sister. And it's something I don't think anyone can explain. I've waited so long, after 78 years, meeting my sister for the first time. And that was duplicated when I met my second sister. I think one of the most amazing moments was when I went to see my father's grave. Even now, just thinking about it and standing there, and uh, it was such an emotional moment. Not only me, but to have my two sisters alongside me It was a very, very uh, wonderful event, and one that I shall never forget.
1: The story of the so-called Brown Babies is yet another grim chapter in the history of the Second World War. The cruelty and inhumanity of the segregation forced on black GIs, the hostility shown to the British women who fell in love with them, and then the vileness of the treatment meted out to their innocent and bewildered offspring. For Terry Harrison, whose upbringing was so marred by hatred and prejudice, one lesson stands out from all.
6: The most important thing is being good to others. That is crucial. Money means nothing to me. It's being good and treating people wherever they are, whatever they are, what color they are, doesn't matter. It's what's inside because sooner or later, we all end the same way.
1: This bonus episode of Bad Women, The Blackout Ripper, was hosted by me, Hallie Rubenhold. It was written and produced by Courtney Guarino, Ryan Dilley, and Alice Fines. Pascal Wise sound designed and mixed the show and composed all the original music. The show was recorded at Wardour Studios by David Smith and Tom Berry.
5: Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset
6: cruise.
5: Give me some smiles.
6: Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San
0: Diego.
5: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism and Marketing District Assessment Funds. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
4: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like minded peers Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world.